Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Well, there you are. This is Dick Foth. Welcome to Redemption's Table, and uh, your host, Robert Bars. Thank you, Dr. Foth. I asked you to do that because I'll tell the listeners, and I'm revealing this to those who hear me preach every week, that I stole that from you. There you are. Uh, you <laughs> say I, that. I stole it from my friend, Derry Northrup. What, and, I, and I love the meaning behind that. Um, you, you say, I'm going to let you say it. There are two people that walk, two kinds of people that walk into the room. What are yeah. those two types of people? And my friend Derry says there are two, two kinds of people in, in, in teaching of folks who lead um, certain principles. He'll say, when you walk into a room, does your presence say, well, here I am? Or does your presence say, well, there you are? Because that sets a totally different tone for whatever in either of those camps, in either of those tracks for whatever comes next. Yes, sir. And I think probably in my younger days in ministry, I never want to be the the first guy. Here I am. Probably was. I know I was at times. Sure. Um, I enter a room like like Tigger, even though that's not necessarily my personality. Uh-huh. I'm probably more like Winnie the Pooh, sometimes like Eeyore. But but I'm excited, and sometimes I come across just hyped. So. I have been grateful for your ministry. I have another confession to make. And I made this when I talked to Josh Richardson, your neighbor, a few weeks ago on the podcast. The first time I attended National Community Church, 2016, was there on vacation, was up in Shenandoah National Park, drove down that morning for one of the satellite churches there at NCC. And I was so excited, looking forward to hearing Mark speak, Mark Batterson, lead pastor there. And that morning he wasn't speaking. You were, uh, and I and I told uh, I told your neighbor I said I was disappointed for about fifteen seconds, and that was one of the most delightful surprises. And being a minister, I believe for me, I need to worship somewhere other than where I'm leading worship every week. And NCC has become that for me. And there are uh, two that I never miss. Wow. Uh, take take real good notes. Uh, one is Dr. Mark and the other one is you, Dr. Foe. So I'm, I'm grateful for all you've poured into my life Thank you, Robert. that Thank you didn't even know. Uh, didn't know. No, no, sir. You also have a podcast of your own. I do. Uh, known. Yes. So the and uh, tagline for that is stories to make sense of it all. Yeah. And it's a wonderful podcast. And those listening, I encourage you to check it out. It'll be there in the notes. 
um, when the Lord laid this idea upon my heart for Redemption's Table three years ago. I, and you can tell in the opening, I patterned that opening after the way that first season for a while, the way you did known. And I'm, so I was, you know, emulating you in that regard, grateful because you have a theme that I've noticed in following you the last five years. And that theme is food and that theme is table. <laughs> and part of my problem is unfortunately I look like that theme, you know, that's no, you know, <laughs> I heard you preach a message 2018 there at NCC. And the message was come to the table. And you talked about the importance of the table and you, and you do so in other settings, but, how much is the table needed right now? What is the importance of a table? And just share a little bit about that. You know, when we, when we talk about table, we talk about a gathering place, whether that table is a literal table or in some spaces in our, on our planet, you're sitting on a dirt floor and with a common bowl. It's the place of gathering, isn't it? It's, it's interesting today with new homes being built, the open concept is so big, but the, the largest space these days often is the kitchen because people gather where nourishment is being prepared. That's just, and that's historically been true. The farm table, all of that. So I think the, and the theme, the, the biblical concept, uh, you know, rabbis in Jesus' day had this thing called rabbinic table fellowship. And it has this, it, it's this uh, place of identity, the place of identification. And of course, as the story goes, that's what got Jesus in trouble. He went to the wrong table. So, yeah. You, yeah. How much is the table needed now compared to when that message was originally preached? In light of all the all the hiccup we've gone through, and that's a sure. mild way to put it, in the last eighteen months, a, a withdrawal sure. from the common table. How much is this needed now? I think it's. I think it is probably the iconic symbol of what's needed. You know, uh, back after the nine eleven attacks, and the idea terrorism is not a new thing. Terrorism has been in play for since humanity began. But the idea of a terrorist is that he or she doesn't want a place at the table. They want to blow the table up. And the, the need for that simple sharing of food and time is at the heart of humanity. It's, it is who we are. And never has there been a time when we've needed that more and because historically and again this changed in our country probably started changing in the 50s with fast food when i could get a mcdonald's hamburger for 15 cents <laughs> i love that <laughs> uh, it started changing from from coming to my house for food to meeting some in some quote neutral place for food and we'll pay for it and there's a difference isn't there between meeting at some restaurant which it, whether it's fast food or higher end or, or meeting at our table. And because meeting at table means to me, and I think 
I certainly biblically is that I invite you into my life and you invite me into yours. And we're desperate for that today. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, how, how, how can we, how, because we've been removed from people Apart. removed from being able to gather together in, in some settings and in pl- some places still are, or we're beginning to kind of retract back toward that as, right. as things continue. What are some ways we can achieve that same objective without a physical table, or is that even possible? Well, it, it, it isn't possible completely, is it? No, sir. But, but I think just, uh, just zooming, is zooming is a bit better than a phone call because I get to see your face. I get to see your expression. I don't have to listen to hear what the difference is in tone and all that. But I think that um, we're so used to texting, uh, sort of this cryptic kind of conversation, if it's called that, or observations, um, to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody. That's the start of the table. And I know for younger folks who might be listening, that's old school. You don't call and leave messages. Yeah. You text with emojis and and with with uh, acronyms. But that's not that's not conversation. That's only um, it's only observation. And so I think I think if a if a if a, a child in the womb can distinguish his or her mother's voice i think that never leaves us yeah and for me to hear your tone or to hear your voice and then to get to see your face that's two steps in the right direction toward the table yes sir i, I would always rather have a face-to-face conversation you betcha that's me uh and I would love for it to be in person. Uh, that's also me. Uh, there were some things you mentioned in the that message back 2018. And I'm going to give you a few quotes from the message because, like I say, I take notes. Uh, sure. You said Jesus uses food as the focal point for helping people understand the nature of the kingdom of God. Could you elaborate a little bit about that? If you... If you think about it um, this way, the very first statement that's made in Genesis by God, the first recorded statement is, let there be light. I don't know that um, I thought about this too much until I met a friend, uh, who a person who was a world-class uh, analytical chemist, what they call a spectroscopist, they study light at the University of Illinois back when I was 28 years old. Um, and I asked him one day, I said, why do you think God said, let there be light? Why do you say that first? He said, well, it's one of the bases for the universe, Dick. And he, he, he went on to school me very kindly in what light is about. And of course, without light, you don't have food. Light is the start of the food chain. So from the get-go in scripture, you set up the basis for food and the sharing of food and the sharing of table. And you go all the way through. I mean, just, you know, whether it's the the Adam and Eve story or the Cain and Abel story where there's 
essentially having a food fight, or you go on and you see the prophets and being fed by the ravens, or you get to John the Baptist, and it tells us, you know, this is the first prophet in 400 years, and scriptures tell us what he eats for Pete's sake. What's that? <laughs> what, is, what is that about? And, and then Jesus, of course, he's always at table, and he's at the wrong tables. And it, you know, the first miracle he does is at a wedding feast, and it, it goes on and on. And, and when he wants to prove that he's the resurrected Lord, that he's not an apparition or a wee ghosty, as the Scots would say, he says, anybody here have any broiled fish? And, it, and it's when he broke the bread at the dinner meal on the road to Mace, they recognized who he was. And, and when he wants to redeem us, you talk about redemption's table, he, here is the God who hunts us down when we've totally blown it. He, and he does, you know, if, if I'd have been Jesus and, and, and Peter had done what he'd done, he wasn't Judas, but, you know, I'd, I'd go find his fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee and vaporize it. That's what <laughs> I'd do. That, take that. And here's the God who hunts us down to fix us breakfast on the beach. Yeah. And, and I, my friend Gordon Fee, who's a, who's a New Testament scholar, said, what do you do with a God who hunts you down and fixes your breakfast after you've totally messed up? And he said, what you do is you follow him. That's what you do. So, and so you, you, you just keep that theme all the way through and it's, it's like a drumbeat and you say, yeah, but it's so basic. That's the point. Yeah. 7.7 billion people on the planet eat. Some don't get hardly any, and some of us get way too much, but that's part of what makes us and keeps us human. And it's such a natural place to be. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm interested. What's your favorite Jesus story involving food? Hmm. Maybe you should tell me the answer. That you no. have. <laughs> I don't want to influence <laughs> the answer. Well, I really, I really, um, you know, that one, the one I just mentioned mm -hmm. is a, is, is an iconic one. I think the, I think the great banquet story that he tells where he says, invite people over who can't invite you back, or at least that's the principle. Because in, in Middle Eastern culture, uh, hospitality is huge, it's central. But part of the deal is I invite you to my house, Robert. So I'll, I'll feed you whatever we eat out here in Colorado and you invite me to your house in Alabama, let me get some of that good Southern deep fried, whatever it is cooking. And, you know, <laughs> or if I was in South Carolina, it would be uh, sweet tea and banana pudding. I don't know what it is in Alabama, but anyway, uh, so that's the deal. And Jesus sets up the kingdom representation by saying, here's the place where you get invited and you have no place to which to invite them back. And uh, so I think, I think that that story. I, I mean, you know, think of all the places where Jesus was, where he was at table, whether it was the Matthew story, or whether it's at Mary and Martha's house and the washing of his feet, or the Last Supper, or I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's that's five answers to one question. I thought that was pretty good. That's great. <laughs> um, have you ever thought about writing a book about about food? I mean, about just in the about, Bible scripturally? Just about food. Yeah, just about food, the, the food accounts. 
I don't, you know, I don't know that I have thought about that in, in particular. I do think that has, uh, that has merit. Uh, you know, I, I, I have this thesis, I don't know if this is true. I had the privilege a couple of times of, of meeting uh, Dr. Billy Graham, once sitting at a table and once the Friday after uh, 9-11 at the National Cathedral. You know, Billy Graham spoke to more people in the last century than anybody in the history of mankind, it just live, let alone in the other ways. But um, when interviews were made or studies were made of who went to what they called Billy Graham meetings or crusades, a high percentage, maybe 90 some percent, were uh, invited or taken by family or friends. And my thesis is something like this, that, you know, kids coming home on a warm summer afternoon or after school, often invited in by grandmothers or aunts who have apple pie and cold milk and looked a lot like Jesus. They may not have had the words they made, but they had that. But when they put that context together with Billy Graham's a crisp and simple and clear invitation to follow Jesus. I think that's where those two pieces came together. So I think probably more people come to come to faith on the basis of you know tremendous green beans with bacon bits and apple pie than perhaps any other single way. Goes that's a long just, way. <laughs> that's, that's just my little piece of faux heresy. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things you said in that message several years ago, you said um, you talked about the 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 table being a freeze frame, and, a, and in particular the story there in Luke 14, but it was a freeze frame of heaven because sitting at the table in Scripture, not just in culture, is identity. And yes. I thought about that. I, could this be some of our identity loss in the last 18 months, just not having this opportunity to... Oh yeah, I think I think you've nailed it. Really, it is that it is it is so much it is so much our identity. Then when there's not the chance to share one's life at table, and 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 by sharing one's life, you know, let's say uh, Fred Farkle in in Columbus, Ohio, has his, and he goes out and he makes money and and his wife. His wife, Grace, she goes out and they make many, they come back and then they go buy food and then they invite us over. They say, both and barge, why don't you guys come over and we're gonna feed you. It's their life. You know, money is my life a second time around. And there is a sense in which when I go and purchase something, then it's prepared, then I, that when I'm sitting at your table, and this sounds strange, but there's a certain sense in which I'm ingesting your life. I'm not just in your frame, of conversation or that sort of thing. So that's one thing. Second thing is Sherry Turkle, who's an MIT psych professor, has written a book or several books, but one is called Alone Together and how in this social media age we are, we're apart but still tethered in some way. But the art of conversation, which children learn at a family table is, um, is leaking out at the edges, if you will, because family dinners or whatever uh, are not what they used to be. 
when at least certainly in, in my age group were when I was growing up. And what family dinners do is they allow you to have an, an ongoing conversation that has commas in it. You don't have to solve it all on Tuesday night. You could pick it up again on Friday at breakfast or whatever it is. So anyway, all of those pieces are in place, seems to me. Yeah. In the last quote, I'll, I'll share from that kind of, it just kind of leads right in because you've already alluded to this. Uh, the table becomes a platform for hearing and telling stories. Yes. And that your book uh, and your podcast is about, you know, stories, people's lives. Uh, and, mm. uh, um, you know, one of the, one, one of the fun things, and I, I happen to have grown up in a pastor's home back in the day that when the missionary from Botswana came to town, they, they didn't stay at the Holiday Inn Express or at the Hampton or whatever, they stayed at your house. And so when you sat at the table with them and you're a 10 year old boy and you're hearing, you're hearing stories of lion hunts and you know, whatever, you didn't even care if they were true. You just wanted to hear another <laughs> one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and it and it put a sense for me it put a sense of adventure into this thing i couldn't understand called the kingdom of god you know i mean who gets that who, you know who, who gets spirit i you know how many bucketfuls of spirit do we have in the space here in which we're talking i don't know you can't you don't have metrics for that but when you put a when you put a story to it a story like that at table or in your living room around the fire um, that puts flesh to truth in a way that nothing else does. Yeah. I had a friend of mine introduced me to a word several years ago. The word is sobramesa, and it's Holy what cow. takes place after dinner, that conversation, that lingering after, uh, after a meal around mm -hmm. the table. Mm. And Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Sobra mesa. Sobra mesa. I think it's French. I yeah. may be inaccurate. It's S-O-B-R-E-M-E-S-A, Sobra Mesa. Well, that's um, interesting. I mean, it, it, those those French folks, they have those good words like like uh, companis, from which we get company, mm -hmm. uh, means with bread. And it, so I think we have something to learn from our, from our friends who are French and Italian and whatever. Yeah. I think we have something to learn from most everybody. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that word means lingering table. And so, lingering you know, that, table. And, and you, we've all had conversations like that where we didn't, did not want to leave because the conversation ran so deep. Uh, the stories, the connection that was there. Um, that's been one of the joys to me of hosting a podcast like this, because usually I'm out in a restaurant. I'm, I've got so many new friends now and I meet you once you're my friend and I have opportunity to go back and it's, this summer I didn't do as many podcasts, but I did sit down with some friends and just have conversation because I didn't want every conversation I had around the table to be about a podcast. You bet. But um, I want to ask you this. If we were in DC or Fort Collins right now and we couldn't eat at it's up for some reason, stove's not working at my house <laughs> or stove's not working at your house. Where would we be eating? Uh, besides the common table in the home, what are some of your favorite places to eat? 
Um, I ate this morning with a couple of young guys at a place just north of Colorado State University campus on Laurel Street called Cafe Bluebird. And of course, we're, we're out here where um, numbers of people eat vegan and vegetarian. You've got the, the two camps. You know, on the one hand, you got vegan and vegetarian and salad based plant or plant based stuff. And on the other hand, you got you have guys shooting elk and eating bison and all of the, all of that. And uh, so I like Cafe Bluebird. We also have another place not far from us called um, the, the, the Bent Fork Grill. If I were in D.C., um, I think going to the Eastern market on a Saturday morning, which is like this huge uh, combination of food and swap meat, if you're in California, that whole kind of setting. I think that's, that's terrific. I also like if, if I have enough cash to do this, I, I would, I like to take fo folks to the old Ebbett grill. It's kind of an old watering hole, not far from the, from the White House, and um, but uh, you know the the great thing about both here and in D.C. is that there's so much ethnic cuisine, mm -hmm. so many hole in the wall places that that may not look like they're tremendous, but boy, you get some of that food. I remember there's a section of D.C. called Southeast, which is the least served or the most underserved quadrant of the city. And some years ago, we were working with some kids in that area. And there was a fellow who had been a, a mentored by Ernie Banks, the, the wow. baseball player. Yeah, the Cubs, yeah. And I think, I think this gentleman was from Detroit, but he had been mentored by Ernie Banks. And uh, I said, man, wouldn't it be great to get a couple of these kids on a plane and just fly to London or fly to Edinburgh or to Nairobi or to wherever, Hong Kong. And, and he said, Dick, you don't have to do that. Just come here. And there's a, there's a river that's sort of the great divide between that section of town. And it's called the Anacostia River. And uh, if you were looking at DC as a, as a baseball diamond, uh, third base would be a meandering Potomac and first baseline would be the Anacostia. And he said, all you need to do is take one of those kids or a couple of them once a month across the Anacostia to a different ethnic restaurant and you'll introduce them to the world. Oh, wow. I just thought that was a fascinating statement. I didn't do that very much. I should have done that more. Yeah, I love that. Love that. At your house. Um, and I've heard you talk about your wife, Ruth. Yes. Uh, are, is she the main cook? Or are you yeah. the cook? She is. Okay. She, she's the main cook. But as we age, she says, you know, I've been there and done that. I did that for all those <laughs> kids all those, and for you. And so she, she does not do as much of that. And, and I am sort of getting into set. She, she still does apple pies like there's no tomorrow. Mm. Okay. So this week she made some lentil soup and I made a, 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 a fruit salad and an apple pie and took it to a friend who just had knee replacement surgery. And we got a note back today that the apple pie was in, was an A plus, everything was good. But so her, her apple pies with a little ice cream is just, um, 
just like over the top from my perspective. But I'm I'm actually because of COVID, I think, because we were at home, she sucked me into, into two arenas. One was gardening because she's a gardener. And she says when she puts her hands in the dirt, it's elemental. It connects her to God. When I put my hands in the dirt, what it feels like is that I have my hands in the dirt. <laughs> and and the, the other thing is that that um, I started working on salads. She, We have a daughter who's a can whip up a tremendous salad of all kinds in just a few moments. So I started doing salads, trying all kinds of stuff. And so there you go. You know, when you age, your interests shift. You know, I used to watch these TV series where you have these aging detectives who uh, solve mysteries, but all the while they're tending their roses in a greenhouse somewhere near London or something like that. And so I think maybe I'm moving into that phase, Robert. <laughs> I'm right behind you. I love salads. I when I'm out, I probably eat about three or four salads out a week, different variety of salads. So, well, if you came to my house around Thanksgiving, yeah. our my traditional Thanksgiving meal is shrimp and grits. Oh so, wow! Uh, wow. So, and and I don't know if I got this idea from you. I've got this idea from somewhere, and I started doing it about two three years ago. Of course, kind of COVID kind of wiped it out as far as being able to progress yeah. with this. But I, I now were you the one that gave the idea of uh, having people autograph your table underneath? Did that come from no, you? No, but that's a good idea. Yeah, I wish I had had that idea. It's, it's and then you've got an heirloom right there Isn't of all the people. Yeah. So wow. So I now. When I think of Alabama and food, I've, I've been to Alabama a few times, right? And somebody took me to, um, is it Wetzel's? Wetzel's, yes. Oyster, Oyster House. Yes. And, and I love it because I have all these sayings on the wall. And my, my favorite one was, if you, you ever take a mouthful of scalding coffee, whatever you do next will be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So <laughs> Wenzel's that's the place where I had my very first raw oyster. And I'm, I was a fan from really? the first one I ever had. Mm, so. I'm not an oyster guy. Yeah. Wow. So Good on you. Yes, sir. That's yes, great. sir. I have, I have friends. I met an old fisherman. He wasn't that old then, but now he's in his 90s. Back in 1972 on the pier in Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. We were on vacation. It was the end of Hurricane Agnes. And they have this very distinct accent on the Outer Banks. And he was just a wonderful guy. His name's Charles Daniels. And he took Ruth and me to his house for dinner. And his wife fixed, uh, of course, seafood, but she fixed cornbread. Mm. And I said, how do you make that, that cornbread so smooth. And she said, well, you put, I don't know how, one cup or something of sour cream in every batch of cornbread. And it just, you know, when I, when I think of cornbread, I think of Molly Daniels cornbread. Is that a Colorado thing? Molly Daniels? Or that's no, that's her. That's North, your friend. North, North Carolina. North Outer Carolina. Bank, North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. They, uh, it's just, it's, uh, they just uh, the folks, the folks that I know, the places I've been in the South or Southeast. Um, I don't know that any place in the country knows about 
food and gatherings any better than, than you than you folks and how you how you do that. I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's great in Washington State and all of that, but there's there's something about I don't know if it's uh, comfort food or whatever it is. It's uh, it's good. It's good. Everywhere I go is good. There's, I mean, there's so many good places and, uh, just, uh, every place is a blessing when you go there. So that's wonderful. Uh, well, I am grateful for your time here. I don't know. Talk about all this food and I know it's right before lunch for both of us. I, I don't right know about you, but I'm working up an appetite. <laughs> that's, that's good. Well, thanks for the opportunity to be with you. And, um, thank you for what you're doing with the podcast. And I just, um, I, I just think these days when, when people, um, tune in for 20 minutes of something to have 20 minutes of your something at the redemption at redemption table, that's a, that's a plus. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, you're welcome. And likewise to you, I, I, I believe one of the joys in heaven, if, if, uh, if, the father intends is we will get the reveal of all the domino effect of things we said, things we did that led people to him. Um, because I, the reason whole part of this reason we're having this conversation is a domino effect. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw something that Mark had posted is on an e-devotional goodness, almost 20 years ago, I was in preparation for writing a book and that's how I got to know who he was. And then when I was in Washington, boom, I, I learned who you are and uh, continue to follow. And because of you, Josh uh, Richardson yeah. and that wonderful Jesus, uh, Jesus harmony. Yes. And yeah. so it's just on and on and on it goes. If, if you're, if we're paying attention and I mean, it's just all the time. Yeah. So thank you so much for the time. Thank you for coming to the table. I hope the next time we have this conversation, it's in person and uh, it's at one, at one of our places. So uh, wonderful. Yes, Thanks, sir. Robert. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the folks go and then I'll stick around with you just a half second. For those of you listening every Wednesday, usually we give the sign uh, table of redemption. Your party is now available. So until next week and uh, uh, thank you again, Dr. Foth. My joy, Robert. Thanks a million.